WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock News Block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by Special Light in Decatur and Benton Harbor. There's a good chance you've walked through a Special Light door when you go to a local restaurant, school, store, or plant. In the newsroom, I'm Andrew Green. Police say the man who shot eight students at Michigan State University killing three was found with two handguns and a note containing a possible motive for the attack. They described Anthony McRae as a loner whose father said he had no friends. Investigators are trying to determine if mental health played a role in the Monday shootings. The 43-year-old McRae was on foot when he killed himself miles from campus. One of the five wounded students is in stable condition, while the others remain in critical condition with signs of improvement. Classes at MSU remain suspended through the weekend. Key manufacturing indicators in West Michigan rose sharply in January, a sign the area's economy is rebounding, according to a Graham Valley State University economic expert. The director of supply management research at the Seedman College of Business, Dr. Brian Long, says despite ongoing recession fears, the employment situation in West Michigan remains surprisingly strong. All of our major indices are positive, but both of the major national surveys of the industrial market are negative and sliding little by little like they have been for the last few months. It's automotive that's holding up the West Michigan economy and, in fact, the whole Michigan economy. Long says they can still expect automotive parts producers to offset much of the weakness in other industries, especially office furniture. A well-known fixture of St. Joseph Public Schools has died. Dennis Bowen was the director of choral activities for the district starting in 1960 and through his retirement in 1987. Bob Ehrenberg with the St. Joseph Public School Foundation tells us the two met in 1969, when Ehrenberg walked into Bowen's classroom asking to join the choir, we asked what he was like as a teacher and a mentor. He ran a very strict classroom, but made it fun all the time as well. He had devoted kids who would be at attention the second he asked them to. He made choral music and theater fun for all of us. And so many people from his classes have gone on to do great things in fine arts. Ehrenberg tells us Bowen would constantly run into people in the community who he'd helped to shape. Ehrenberg tells us Bowen would constantly run into people in the community who he helped to shape. He was an icon at St. Joe High School. Everybody remembers his productions and the great things he did as the head of the choral department. Bowen continued working with former students on four encore performances over the years, with the most recent being last August. Bowen also worked with volunteers at Spectrum Health Lakeland and the Area Agency on Aging and served as the secretary of the St. Joseph Public Schools Foundation. His funeral will be at First Congregational Church on Saturday, February 25th. That's next Saturday at 1 p.m. Berrien County Commissioner Shokwe Pitchford is calling for the Orchards Mall to be torn down. He told colleagues at a meeting this morning he has been meeting with township officials in his district, which includes Benton Township. Pitchford tells us he thinks the property could have a better use than how it's being used now. What I want to see done with that mall is I want to see it torn down, I want to see it condemned, and I want to see some actual innovation happen. I think the township deserves to have something like that. I think we deserve to have some type of recreational center, a senior center, an event center, something there to utilize that prime property. Pitchford says he has fond memories of the mall's heyday. His parents owned a chicken restaurant there. I remember every store being full. I remember it being vibrant and beautiful. I remember the bookstore that was in there. So everyone has fond memories of the mall, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a person who wouldn't want to see some type of innovation or some type of development happen there. Now the Orchards Mall is listed online as having three retailers. Pitchford tells us he's working to arrange an inspection of the building to find out if it's safe for employees and the public. So far, there's no scheduled date for that inspection.
The Michigan High-Speed Internet Office's visit to Benton Harbor this week has Berrien County commissioners feeling optimistic. Speaking to colleagues this morning, Commissioner Terry Freeling said as billions of dollars start to become available for governments to expand broadband access, Berrien County is well-positioned to apply. That's after all the work to map out broadband availability in the county on a parcel-by-parcel basis. Working with our consultant through DCS was incredible. And the fact that we have that, and we can point that to the ISPs, we can point that to the state, we can point that to any of our municipal leaders to say, here is the real-time data that you have as it relates to broadband, is an incredible tool, and we have incredibly capable individuals in that department. Commissioner Jim Curran said Berrien County is one of only a handful of Michigan counties that's already challenged the FCC's map of broadband availability. He agreed with Freeling. The map's done last year by DCS Technology also positioned the county to apply for funds. The county commission will soon consider a resolution to apply for some of the $250 million in Robin grants the state plans to award. The deadline is March 14th. Benton Harbor City Commissioners have started the search for a new finance director, but before they find someone, they want to make sure that person will have the tools to do their job. After the resignation of former finance director James Williams this month, commissioners learned he had been denied access to information that he felt was needed. Speaking at a meeting this week at the Personnel and Finance Committee, Commissioner Juanita Henry said things need to change internally. We need to know what's happening with our employees. We need to know why they're leaving so we can put something in place so they can stay. Henry noted the previous two finance directors left under similar circumstances, saying, quote, we have to do something different. She urged the committee to send letters to universities and other groups seeking a new finance director. Also, at this week's meeting, Plant and Moran's Rhonda Hildebrand warned the utility fund is running low due to residents not paying their water bills. Right now, it's sitting accounts 60 days and over. There's $550,000 in a 60-day or older category. And if you look at the same figure pre-COVID, January 2020, it was half of that. Hildebrand said a credit was previously given to ratepayers using $1 million of federal ARPA funds to give them a break while lead, lined, lead water lines were replaced. That work's all but done at this point. Committee Chair Edward Isom suggested the city give residents another credit using more ARPA funds to get back on track. Whirlpool is building a tunnel under M63 near its corporate headquarters in Benton Township, and that will result in the closure of the road for a couple of months. The Michigan Department of Transportation says it's approved a permit to close the road between Benson Road and Pawpaw Avenue in Benton Township while Whirlpool constructs the non-motorized pedestrian tunnel. That tunnel is to be part of its trail system, including the five-and-a-half-mile Lakeview Trail on the east side of M63. With the tunnel, bicyclists can cross the road safely. The closure starts on Monday and will continue through May. There will be a detour posted. And DeBlonde Vineyards and Winery in Baroda is on a mission to change the perception of wine culture in southwest Michigan. We sat down with owner Bill Schopf to talk about what sets DeBlonde apart from other wineries in the area, as well as the process of selecting and introducing a new wine into their rotation and the challenges of being a Michigan winemaker. My biggest challenge in starting this vineyard and winery is overcoming the reputation of Michigan wine as being sweet, white, and cheap. We're just the opposite. <laughs> we're expensive, we're uh, mostly dry, and uh, red, although our whites are great too. So why does that perception of Michigan of wine exist? Historically, the wine's not that good. People who come here come back to buy our wine because then they understand what we're doing and they can see it. But if they've never been here, we're just a Michigan wine. They're not even ready to taste a great Michigan wine. You know what I mean? They're, they sip it and they're ready for something not very good. That's not a good way to approach a wine. 
Bill says while DeBlond can't predict whether or not customers are going to enjoy the wine before they begin the years-long process of making it, they just focus on making the best wine varieties from around the world. You can check out our full story Friday morning on WSJM.com or Moody on the Market. WSJM News Now continues with your Bloomberg report. WSJM News Now continues. Brought to you by Imperial Furniture and Dwozhak, where furniture shopping is fun. President Biden today talked about the U.S. response to recent aerial objects detected in U.S. airspace. ABC's Karen Travers has more. President Biden said the U.S. does not yet know exactly what the three objects are that the military shot down over three days last week. Nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other any other country. The president said the intelligence community's current assessment is that the three objects were likely balloons. Tied to private companies recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Karen Travers, ABC News, The White House. A special grand jury that investigated efforts by former President Donald Trump and his allies to overturn his election loss in Georgia is expressing concerns that, quote, one or more witnesses called to testify may have lied under oath. The panel recommends the district attorney, quote, seek appropriate indictments for such crimes where the evidence is compelling. But the report does not name the people who are alleged to have lied. In addition to the section on perjury, the report's introduction and conclusion were released today. Any recommendations on potential criminal charges for specific people will remain under wraps for now. For the second time this week, we're learning of U.S. fighter jets that intercepted Russian military aircraft off the coast of Alaska. ABC's Alex Stone has more. NORAD says it scrambled F-35 fighter jets on Tuesday to intercept four Russian aircraft, including two bombers that were not identifying themselves as they neared Alaska. It was a second intercept of Russian bombers in two days. Russia again announcing it carried out a seven-hour flight over neutral waters. NORAD says such Russian activity near the Alaska Air Defense Identification Zone occurs regularly and is not seen as a threat. Alex Stone, EBC News. The head of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is getting a first-hand look at a creek contaminated by a freight train derailment in Ohio that spilled toxic chemicals and burned in a huge plume over homes and businesses. The EPA Administrator Michael Regan stood along a waterway Thursday still reeking of chemicals nearly two weeks after the derailment. His visit came a day after residents of the community packed a meeting and demanded to know if they're safe. Regan said he's confident the technology being used to clean up the mess would protect public health. Residents are frustrated by what they say is incomplete and vague information about lasting effects. As the first anniversary of the war in Ukraine approaches, several villages formerly under Russian control throughout the country are still bearing the scars of those early months of occupation. ABC's Patrick Revel is more outside of Kyiv. We're in a small village just north of Kyiv today that Russia occupied in the first days of the war. The Russians retreated in April, but the occupation has left deep marks on people there. They took us to a factory where we were shown a windowless room where Russian troops held local people captive. People were tied up, blindfolded. They shared a bucket for a toilet. And on the walls, we could see prisoners had scratched messages. One of them said 33 people were packed in there. A rare public show of division is emerging in the ranks of Afghanistan's ruling Taliban. A senior Taliban figure publicly criticized the group's leadership in a speech, accusing some of monopolizing power. Those comments by the interior minister were seen as directed at the Taliban's supreme leader. The interior minister also said the Taliban needs to be closer to the people and help ease some of their problems at a time of economic collapse. 
The reclusive supreme leader almost never appears in public, but is behind restrictions imposed on women in recent months, including banning them from most levels of education. The bans raised an international uproar. And the family of Bruce Willis has revealed that he's battling dementia. More from ABC's Jason Nathanson. Last year, we learned that actor Bruce Willis had been diagnosed with aphasia, which was affecting the 67-year-old's ability to speak, listen, read, and write. Now his family says they've received a more specific diagnosis, frontotemporal dementia, also known as FTD. They reveal that his condition has progressed, and while painful, it's a relief to finally have a clear diagnosis. In their statement, they say there are no treatments for the disease, and they know that if Bruce could, he would use his voice to bring attention to FTD and those suffering from it, along with their families. Jason Athens and ABC News, Hollywood.